at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 43 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, and Dolores Lozano. And before we get started, we want to give a special shout-out to one of our listeners in Anchorage, Alaska. Her name is Jackie. She was actually involved in a hit-and-run bicycle accident. Everything's okay. She's doing fine. But, uh, Jackie, just know that we're down here in Houston thinking of you this week. And, uh, you know, guys, you know, transitioning back into the show here, we've got an amazing episode in store for us. We've got Big 12 Talks with David Ubbin. And if you follow Big 12 Athletics in any regard, you know David Ubbin's name. Also, we have a phenomenal interview with Julia Morales from Root Sports. She's the field reporter for the Houston Astros. And uh, we spoke with her for about 25 minutes. Fascinating interview. Kevin actually talks to her about... What is it like six inch pumps? Is that correct? I don't even know. I'm that not means. sure what the terminology is exactly, but we did. Uh, there was some discussion about shoes. I learned a lot about women's shoes, which, as I'm saying loud, sounds kind of weird, but um, but it was enlightening, and uh, and I guess she has some sort of impact on the way the Astros perform by the shoes she wears. So as you can tell, we're going to have kind of a diverse episode, but I definitely enjoy the content. But uh, you know, before we get started, uh, Kevin, I heard that you actually made your high school baseball broadcasting debut this week is that correct no we don't have to call it that we could just say i appeared on something nobody needs to know it's my debut but yeah i was on the uh, tsrn the texas sports radio network broadcast of langham creek uh versus west side baseball game three of the second round playoff series um it's actually available in the tsrn archives if you want to go look it up i haven't looked it up myself yet but we did get a chance to plug the podcast and so i wanted to give a shout out to dedrick wilmer whose uh, son dewan plays at cypress falls and uh he was a great guy and uh, we were just kind of bored in the broadcasting booth and he invited me to jump on so I got to do a little bit of color commentary and, uh, I, I, you know, I killed it. If I'm being honest, I'm going to be frank with you guys. I really knocked it out of the park, so to speak. And, uh, I thought it was awesome. So, oh, are you he's you can't you can't see it on a podcast. He's pantomiming a huge head, I think. But I'm just being realistic that I bring a lot to the table, and we saw a new side of me the other night. So you guys should all go out there and listen to that. So what Kevin is saying is he's finally coming around on baseball now. Uh, Jeremy, uh, how was your week? What's going on? Not uh, not enthralled with baseball at all, but I am enthralled with uh, Big Twelve expansion talks, which is what I was paying attention to all week. Um, but before we get into that, I did want to give a special shout out to We Desserts. Uh, they really made. Uh, my mom's Mother's Day special, so they let me in just a minute before they opened and got me a big box of cookies. So really want to give a special shout out to them. And really, they're good for any holiday, not just for Mother's Day. So uh, don't hesitate to stop by We Desserts. Yeah, always great to go by We Desserts. And before we dive in more on you know the best bakery in Houston, uh, Dolores, you were at uh, JJ Watt's charity softball classic this week. Tell us about that. The JJ Watt classic was really fun. It was great to see all the... It was great to see the community come together at Minute Maid Park, and actually it seemed like there was more fans than there is at some Astros games sometimes, which is really surprising, but it's not surprising. Not surprising at all. J.J. Watt raised over a million dollars, and it was really great to see the new rookies. They played a little joke on them. They had brought them out on the field and kind of sprayed them with water guns, so that was really hilarious, but it was really nice. Did you get to feel J.J.'s muscles? No, I did not, but... One reporter did ask him what he was doing later that night, which I thought was really weird. And I wonder if her credentials got provoked after that. I'm curious. Who was this reporter? I have no idea. Yeah, it's very unprofessional. Are you looking at me? Have I done that before? <laughs> I, no, I'm just looking at you to agree with me. Oh, okay. I thought I thought you were accusing me of something because I have sort of a checkered past and I could have easily have done that at some point in the past. I don't recall it, but yeah, that, that could have been me easily. <laughs> Would it have been to J.J. Watt if any athlete? Absolutely. J.J. Watt is the sexiest man alive in my opinion. So I just wanted to get uh, I wanted to get a taste of what it was like from your perspective, Dolores. Sort of vicarious joy. Hold on, hold on. Dolores, do you think J.J. Watt is the sexiest man alive? I do not think he's the sexiest man alive. Second after George Clooney. No. Not even No, no, no. Or am I anywhere near your There's a correct answer here. Well, okay, who's the sexiest man alive? Correct answer, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I thought we were going for... Hold on, wait. Wow. I thought we were going for Orbit. Orbit is Bay, right? Oh, yeah. Orbit's the sexiest man alive. Okay. He's not a man. He's he's an alien. Sexiest creature. Sexiest varmint. He's a space varmint. That's clear. All right. No, 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 no. Okay. So, JJ, what's your sexiest person alive? Who's your top five, Kevin? I didn't say person. I said sexiest man alive. And uh, it's it's JJ Watt, JJ Watt, Kobe Bryant, JJ Watt, 
and I don't have a fifth. You just said George Clooney, so obviously you have this like thought. Well, out. okay, I thought we were talking athletes. You're right, you're right. I have not really thought this out at all. It kind of put me on the spot here, and I feel a little uncomfortable with the way you guys are looking at me. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean that is kind of the consensus, right? That JJ Watt is one of America's sexiest athletes, right? I think you check out athletes more than I do, and I'm really questioning that right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. That's what their their bodies are on display. It is socially acceptable to gawk and ogle and you know really take in the sights. That's what I'm out. I didn't know you were such an admirer of the human form, Kevin. Absolutely. Wow. I'm like the Greeks yeah. in so many ways. So, uh, so Kevin is uh, definitely just revealing a little bit more about himself. And uh, next week we will debut uh, uh, Kevin's best five summer bods. <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll have a rolling list of the sexiest athletes, male yeah. only. The atmosphere in here is totally different now that we've had this discussion. <laughs> so, unfortunately. Uh, Kevin does not have a sexy body because he goes to We Desserts all the time. That is, that is a really awful segue. But um, yeah, you can have a sexy body and get delicious desserts at We Desserts. And so to clear up any confusion, We is O-U-I, which is French for yes. As in yes, you should go to We Desserts because they do everything there. And they do it from scratch. I don't know if you've ever had uh, a really, really terrific pastry or baked good that is made from scratch with all the best ingredients with tender love and care by Jenny and Penn. Uh, really, they put their hearts in souls into everything they make there, including the delicious beignets and everything else that goes on there. So you should go out there. 3411 Kirby, uh, basically as a listener of this podcast, you get 10% off, which is uh, which is fantastic and you should certainly take advantage of. So go by there. They're friendly, charming people. They will make anything you ever could possibly want and make it look amazing. It is professional baked goods. So you should go out there, check it out and see if they have anything that you would want to get involved with uh, dessert-wise. Yeah, also if you go to We Desserts and you show Penny and Jen that you are making an iTunes review for the podcast, you actually get a free baked good. Now, it's either a cookie or macaroon, so I highly recommend doing that. That's 3411 Kirby here in Houston. And if you want to follow our work elsewhere, you can also find us, uh, just search, you can also search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. We post all of our content there each Monday. It gets pushed directly to your inbox, so I highly recommend taking that approach. But we actually have a fun show on tap for you today. We've got a great conversation with David Ubbin discussing Big 12 realignment scenarios and just the rumors that have existed, uh, just the rumors that have persisted here in the past few weeks. Also, we sit down with Julia Morales from Root Sports. She's the field reporter for the Houston Astros. Great discussion with her. But without further ado, we've got a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. It seems like every May for the past five or six years that realignment rumors emerge involving the Big 12 Conference, and this year is no exception to that rule, as the Big 12 has produced statistics from Navigate Research claiming that expansion would add to their chances of making the college football playoff each year. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew to discuss this and more is David Ubbin, who has covered the Big 12 Conference for ESPN.com, Fox Sports Southwest, and is now a contributor to Sports on Earth and the host of the Flyover Country podcast. David, thanks for joining us. And what is going on with the Big 12 right now? They're trying to find their way. I mean, I think, um, you know, I wrote about this for Sports on Earth earlier this week, but I think every conference has to look in the mirror right now because it's clear um, that the Big Ten and the SEC with their successful networks are, are about to be making a lot more money. And so all three conferences have to answer the question of how do we keep up? And, and for the Big 12, they, they've got the most complicated uh, way of answering that because they have sort of three paths of, uh, you know, do we, uh, do we expand for the Big 12? Uh, do we uh, institute a title game? And do we pursue a conference network? And those are sort of their three options to try and uh, keep up with the Joneses. Uh, but all those things are kind of intertwined, and, and all of those things, um, no matter how much research you do, uh, you're probably going to be doing some guesswork on how that's going to affect you 10, 15 years down the road. You just mentioned the, uh, you know, a conference network. And to me, the biggest hurdle to that seems to be the Longhorn Network. And, you know, given UT stubbornness around the Longhorn Network, is a Big 12 network even a viable option at this point? Well, I, I think it's, it's you, you got to figure out a way to incentivize Texas, either giving it up or, or rolling it in. And, and that's, that's tough to do. I mean, uh, you know, if you're just going to say, well, we'll guarantee you your $15 million from ESPN, well, okay, but why would Texas want to give up the branding and, and those things? I mean, the Big 12 needs Texas, but Texas is, does not need the Big 12. They'd be just fine without the Big 12, whether that means going to the uh, the Big 10. The SEC would be unlikely for them, um, or whether that means going independent. And, and that's, none of those things are going to happen overnight, but um, that's where sort of the Big 12 is stuck, is, is trying to 
uh, you know, if they're going to do a network, you got to incentivize uh, Texas giving up the, 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 the Longhorn network, but I, I'm not sure how you pull that off. You know, I think the Texas is obviously a factor, but Oklahoma seems to be the linchpin in some of these discussions. You've got David Boren, who is uh, avowedly in favor of expansion, has been very vocal about that. And then on his own board of regents, the chairman, Max Weitzenhofer, uh, has been vocally against it. So what's with the division there at Oklahoma, and, and why can they not figure out whether or not it benefits them as a school to support or uh, not support expansion? Well, I think some of that's overstated. I, I think it's sort of unfair to suggest that, that Oklahoma is not on the same page. I, I think... You know, the, the, the three guys that, that matter most, and Joe Castiglione, the athletic director, Bob Stoops, the, the football coach, and then obviously David Boren, you know, they have been pretty much in lockstep. And, and the Board of Regents is another thing um, with a lot of people that are obviously all going to have varying opinions and, and have some say, um, but ultimately, you know, it, it's secondary to, to, to what David Boren's going to do. And also the Board of Regents is, is a collective. It's, it's not just one guy. And so... You know, I, I think you, you have a lot more people that, that aren't going to be as, as open about their opinions, and I think, uh, you know, Oklahoma probably didn't appreciate uh, that uh, that coming out because it does sort of feed this perception. Um, that, that, that's, uh, but I think it's, it's pretty clear that Oklahoma on its whole, I mean, David Bourne is a smart guy who spent a lifetime in politics. He's not going to go rogue here if he doesn't have a lot of university support. That doesn't mean that every single person – within a 50-mile radius of Norman, Oklahoma, is, is okay with expansion. But that does mean that, that the main decision-makers are, are going to be behind him if they want to, uh, uh, you know, explore this. So, you know, Oklahoma certainly in the pro-expansion group, but it's pretty hard to nail down, folks, and, and exactly what their position is uh, because it's probably smarter to play things closer to the vest. And also, you know, for, for a lot of these guys, they, they don't know. They don't have a great answer. And so you're, you're hearing a lot of uh, radio silence from some teams across the Big 12. Yeah, and speaking of radio silence, it seems that like six years ago, the lost odds, you know, making uh, headwinds. And it was UT essentially driving these expansion talks. Now it seems like, you know, six years later that Texas is silent and Oklahoma is kind of uh, leading, uh, you know, the, the Big 12's charge for expansion for a conference championship game. Why is Texas almost taking a backseat this go around? Well, I think they don't have quite as much at stake. I think when, you know, they're making a lot more uh, with their third tier rights than anyone else in the Big 12. Um, you know, that, that Longhorn Network deal gives them about $15 million a year uh, annually. And, and, and I think uh, Oklahoma is somewhere in the ballpark of six to eight with their deal um, with um, uh, Fox. And I think uh, Kansas is in a. Uh, the similar ballpark with their deal with, with Time Warner Cable uh, locally. So Texas is kind of in a, in a league of their own, making a lot more money. So even if the Big Ten and the SEC are, are, are shooting up, uh, making a lot more than everyone else, Texas is still going to be in that ballpark. And so, you know, for them, they're pretty happy in the Big 12. So, you know, they want to make this work. And, you know, but Oklahoma has probably the most to lose. And that's why you're seeing them kind of be more of a mover and shaker in this situation but you know texas has to figure out what they're going to do and, and where their place is and all this but you know I, I think the reason they've been a little bit quieter is because they're, they're happy with how things are, are and, and they don't have quite as much to lose moving forward weitzenhofer who i mentioned a minute ago actually has said on the record that he would ideally like to poach another power five uh, conferences teams in order to expand i guess he thinks that's the most um, attractive option but that also seems like the least likely option for me uh, just you know on a scale of one to ten or percentages wise what are the odds that the big 12 can manage to poach another big conferences teams Probably ten or fifteen, not not very high. I mean, <laughs> the ACC makes the most sense there, um, but I mean, you, you you heard this flirtation with Florida State and Clemson for you know years. But when the ACC locked in that grant of rights deal, um, like the Big Twelve has, you know, it's just it's not uh, uh, it's it's not really something that that's very viable. And obviously, the the SEC doesn't have any um, you know penalties for leaving. So, you know, if you listen to Garth Brooks and you get to hear Arkansas get mentioned in there, but why it makes no sense for Arkansas to want to leave the SEC, the security and the cash of that to enter into the Big 12, which, you know, I, I think is more harmonious than it probably gets credit for, but certainly does not have a, a, um, a certain future. And so that's, you know, the, where the SEC and the Big Ten can, can uh, sleep, sleep well at night knowing uh, where they're at. 
So if you don't poach another Power 5 conferences teams and you have some unaffiliated or, or lower league teams, uh, a particular interest to me as a U of H alum is the University of Houston, but I've also heard some talks about Memphis, FedEx getting involved with potentially sponsoring a title game, thing like that. Who are the front runners among the other teams that are being considered for expansion? Well, I think you're hearing, you're hearing BYU and, and Cincinnati and, and Colorado State kind of come out of nowhere, and, and UConn are, are probably the, the front runners. If it was me, I would probably go with BYU and Cincinnati. I think you know BYU makes uh, the most financial sense. Cincinnati might be number two there. Um, Colorado State's kind of interesting, um, but uh, you know, in, in terms of your product, I think you, you may worry about watering it down a little bit uh, in that sense. The, the same thing with UConn, at least in football. Um, so those would probably be, I think, the four that are most likely uh, to, to get a look. Um, but uh, yeah, if it's me, I, I would go BYU and Cincinnati. You know, the Big 12 with that research that came out from uh, Navigate Research saying that it you know, expanding would actually help their chances to getting into the college football playoff. To me, that means you have to go for teams that are actually, uh, you know, producing uh, wins. And for me, I, I think like a U of H would be an option. Now, I know that the Big 12 has said they want to expand into different media markets. But if you're looking to expand into, uh, you know, powerhouse media markets, why is Cincinnati an option and a school like Temple, who is in the fourth largest media market in Philadelphia, not an option at this point? I think the biggest thing is that you have to deliver that market. I think Temple is just not a player. I mean, it's the same thing with UCF in in Florida. Sure, you you have Florida in theory, but there's just there's not going to be an outcry of folks looking to, you know, we're dying to get, um, you know, UCF Sports or Temple Sports on our cable package in, in Philadelphia. There are going to be some people, but it's just not, you know, uh, going to be the same deal as like. Uh, you know, that's why the Big 12 knows that, that if they get West Virginia, West Virginia, that entire state is going to need all of the West Virginia sports uh, that they can get. Uh, that's why you saw the same thing with, with why Missouri is, is, is getting into the SEC. Kansas City and St. Louis, Missouri does deliver those markets. If Missouri, you know, is not, you know, if those cable markets are not getting the SEC uh, network, they're going to have a lot of people very angry, and, and that's, sort of the, the market for, for making that happen. So it, it's getting into big markets, but it's getting uh, candidates that actually deliver those markets. And I just don't believe that that's going to be true for, for Temple and Philadelphia, whereas Cincinnati, even though it's a smaller media market, that's about as good as you're going to do in terms of an individual media market. Back to Houston, and I'm doing my best to sound professionally or not desperate for my school to get into the Power 5 conference I wanted to, but they've made tens of millions of dollars in infrastructural upgrades on both the football and basketball side. They have two, I think, really big name, uh, high-profile coaches in Tom Herman and Kelvin Sampson. I mean, it seems like they are really making a push to be deserving of a Power 5 conference bid. Is there any conceivable path to the Big 12 for them? Because I know there's disputes about television contracts and Texas doesn't want another Texas school there. Is there, is there a chance? I really don't think so. I, I, they're, they're too boxed in um, by geography um, because you have the recruiting aspect of it. You know, the Big 12 coaches already recruiting is harder than ever with SEC kind of leaking into Texas, Baylor and TCU being a bigger player. Obviously now TCU is recruiting on equal footing where they never had been um, before, at least since the breakup of the Southwest Conference. And then TV-wise, Houston doesn't bring anything. Even though, uh, you know, they've, they've done a good job with facilities and they'd be a fine fit on the field, I mean, the Big 12 is already locked into Houston. There's, you know, tons of, of Texas fans and Texas Tech fans and, and Oklahoma fans and all that, uh, all in Houston. And the Big 12 doesn't have an issue with getting uh, television um, distribution in Houston, whereas yeah, if Houston, you know, comes to the league, they, they're not adding anything. They're not adding any markets. You know, deeper penetration doesn't really matter. And, and so, you know, even though on the field it makes sense, geographically it makes sense, you know, the geography, that's what it's about in the, the, the new sort of college realignment stage. But, but Houston has all the wrong answers to the geography question. So they, they don't make a whole lot of sense to me um, and, and what the Big 12 would be looking for. I'm, I'm curious. Does the Big 12 expand? And if so, what do you see the you know the future of the league looking like in, say, 2020? I think for me, I'm not fully on, on board with the idea that it's going to expand, but I, I, I do think it's closer than ever. And, and if I'm guessing, I don't know 2020, but if I'm guessing, I really don't think the Big 12 is going to be here in, in 15 years. Uh, I think the claustrophobia is setting in a little bit. 
And when the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be making more money, I think Oklahoma has to wake up at some point. I don't know when that's going to be. And say, you know, if the Big 12 can't make this work and can't, uh, you know, close the gap for how much money is going to be made, uh, they're, they're doing themselves a disservice if they're letting Purdue cash, you know, $20 million more a year than them. Now, with the uncertainty in, in, in what cable is and cord cutting and where the future of, of networks goes, maybe that turns. But at the current pace, it's hard for me to see any of the sort of routes for the Big 12 paying off and being enough to, to hold this thing together. They don't expand here in the very near future. Then obviously the, the biggest decision facing them in the moment is whether or not to have a title game. They've been given approval um, to have one with this round-robin schedule without expanding. I mean, do you think that favors the Big 12? Are they likely to push for a title game in order to increase their chances of getting into the college football playoff, or is that uh, a non-starter for the, uh, for the different teams involved? Well, I think it's pretty clear that the, the title game with just a 10-team league is, is not a good idea. I mean, asking your, your champion to play nine conference games and then adding a 10th against a top 15 team, it seems obvious you're hurting your chance. And that's, a, that's a really tough road for your champion to go. Plus, the Big 12, you know, requiring its, its uh, teams to play uh, a Power 5 opponent moving forward, that's asking a lot. So if a title game is going to happen, it's going to come in conjunction with a uh, with expansion. So those are kind of a package deal. The network is a much more difficult proposition. If I, you know, I, I think that it makes some sense for the Big 12 to expand, but I think I just have some trepidation that when it comes down to it, if these guys are risking a lot of money in saying, you know, we want to bring in Cincy or we want to bring in UConn or we want to bring in Colorado State, taking a flyer, taking a chance on some of these, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to pull the trigger with so many uncertain to uh, uh, uncertain factors and so many variables floating around moving forward. So you had mentioned that, you know, the championship game. And to me, that immediately makes me think of what's in the present. And that's the 2016 college football season. I think there's tons of optimism uh, heading into the fall with programs like OU, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Baylor. How do you see the Big 12 race shaping up this season? And does the league have a playoff hope this year? I think that's some hope. I, I think Oklahoma will, will pretty clearly be the best team on paper. What that means come fall, we'll find out. I think Baylor is good enough to compete. They're going to be putting up a, a bajillion points again. they got two quarterbacks they know can win in the Big 12, in Seth Russell and, and, uh, and Jared Stidham. I think TCU, you know, uh, the injuries on defense will help them. That defense is going to be good uh, next season. Offensively, you know, Kevontae Turpin's a great player. they just got to figure out the quarterback situation. If they can get solid play out of the quarterback, TCU can compete for a title. Oklahoma State will be there. It's going to be a crowded field. Oklahoma's the best uh, team in the league, but you know those those three or four teams behind them are going to be very, very solid and, and very capable of beating them. As far as real playoff teams, I think anyone outside of Oklahoma and Baylor, it's hard for me to see that happening. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, the, the Big 12's been full of surprises the last few years. David, you also uh, have hosted, I guess, or the star, if, if I might say so, of the Flyover Country uh, podcast, and it is available on iTunes. Um, will we see more of that podcast this season? And uh, just what have your experiences been like podcasting? Because we really love it, and uh, we're always curious to hear what other people uh, enjoy about it or get out of it. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I, I pretty much do everything for, uh, um, for, for, for Flyover Country, so sort of a one-man show, and it's been fun. Um, it's... Uh, uh, well, there will be some new episodes in the next uh, week or so in, in uh, just sort of talking about this expansion issue. Um, so tune in for that. And then, uh, you know, uh, more than likely this fall, we're going to have uh, plenty more episodes coming down the pipe. So uh, it should be fun. And for those that are kind of curious and following your work, not only from expansion talks, but kind of, uh, you know, your analysis for Big 12 football, Big 12 basketball, and, uh, you know, just general sports commentary, what is the best way for them to connect with you and follow your work? Um, probably my Twitter account. Uh, I usually tweet out everything and then everything that I'm, I'm putting out there. So uh, you can pretty much keep track of that. Just David Oven. David, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast. No problem. Thanks, guys. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. As many of our listeners know, baseball is the sport that I'm most passionate about. With the Astros nearly 40 games into the 2016 season, we've had some great guests on the show, but they've all been reporters that cover the team from the press box. And we're going to switch things up this week, and we're proud to welcome Julia Morales, who is the field reporter for the Astros on their flagship television station, Root Sports, and also the host of the weekly magazine show, Astros Base is Loaded. Uh, Julia, you're at Fenway Park right now with a club, and with the Astros eight games below 500 
and a 4-12 and record on the road this season. What is the mood around the clubhouse? Yeah, you know, I mean, it gets pretty frustrating in there at times, to be completely honest. In the beginning of the year, maybe not so much uh, because it was so early. They didn't really know what their identity was at the time. Uh, just everybody trying to figure it out. They knew the pitching would come around. Here lately, though, the, the losses have been getting – they're pretty disappointing, you know, the way that they're losing games. They had a really good homestand as far as the way they were playing, though. Clean baseball, you know, you heard that a lot over the 10-game the homestand. But they take another huge loss, the 11-1 to against a really hot Red Sox team. And it's just, you know, it's why can't we figure this out? Why can't we all get on the same page? So it does get frustrating. I, you know, you can probably expect some moves to be made. So everyone kind of knows that to look over their shoulder, you know, like, somebody's behind you you know somebody's ready to take your spot they're starting to get that feeling um which i think is good for the team but but it, it does get really tough in that clubhouse they're just gonna have to find that loose personality that they, they they're used to in order to get back on track i think what do you think it is this season i mean last year you had club astros after every single win but the team kind of struggled down the stretch in terms of on the road what do you think it is this year with the team is it is it just a mental thing is it the pressure the expectations or is it just not playing a good brand of baseball right now yeah, I mean, the, the expectations was something they knew coming in that everyone was going to be watching them, the bullseye on their back. They, they heard all that. Uh, but out of the gate, the, the pitching was, was really hard. to. They just couldn't put together any any complete games. The pitching was bad, you know, and then it was just all in all, it, it was just frustrating in the beginning. So I don't think they've been able to come out of that funk that they were in uh, during that, that stretch there in April. So here, you know, we're seeing a little bit of everything. You're seeing the mental errors, maybe less of them. Like I mentioned, that homestand was being a little bit better. But the, the, the errors on the base pass, things like that that just weren't they weren't uh, in their character. I mean, there's things that you didn't see this team do before. When I mean, Dallas Keuchel has a, an ERA above five, ERA above five, it's just, you know, who is this team? And, and they're striking out a lot more here recently. Uh, the bottom half of the lineup isn't – being able to produce like we've seen them produce before so there's just a lot of things going on and I think that's what's weighing on them and that's why it's so heavy right now. Dallas Keuchel you had just mentioned him he's two and five on the season with a 5.58 ERA Uh, wonks have been an issue for him is this a case of the league starting to figure him out a little bit or is he you know putting pressure on himself on the mound when he goes out for each start or is he you know suffering through some sort of discomfort or injury on the mound? Mm -hmm. Yeah it's been interesting to watch somebody who's such a perfectionist struggle the way he has because he hasn't been able to figure it out hasn't felt like like the Dallas Keuchel that won the Cy Young award just one year ago had a really good off season you know he, during spring training he started a little bit later he skipped that first start so that way maybe he'd just be feeling a little more fresh to start the season because of how many innings he threw last year but but here he is and he's he's you know, his last start against the Red Sox being knocked around by an extremely hot, red-hot team. Uh, but you mentioned the walks, and, and, yeah, that is one thing that we haven't seen from Keiko is But he, he has said that I'm not attacking hitters like I want to. You know, I'm kind of nibbling around the strike zone. He has said all that. And even when teams were starting to say that they were waiting him out, it's just like, wait a minute, this isn't his style. So he's got to find a way to get back into that. His velocity has gone up, which is good. Something that we were all kind of looking at in the beginning and it wasn't down by much, but you know, I mean, one mile per hour, two miles per hour, especially when your guy that doesn't throw hard to begin with, um, all of that can affect the other pitches. So I, I don't think it's a matter of his pitches not being as sharp or anything. I think it's just putting it all together for him. Um, he was working on a few timing issues uh, mechanically, but it, it's, it's something he's going to have to keep figuring out, but he can do it because he's, such a great competitor Um, he's such a perfectionist like I mentioned earlier so he's gonna do everything he can to get Mm -hmm. back you're in the uh, in the in the in the park every single day and so I'm curious at the beginning of the season we saw a lot of fans you know rally behind this team obviously there were as much as World Series expectations and so I'm just curious as someone who's there day in and day out are the fans still rallying behind this team or has there been uh, more tepid fan support as they've sort of struggled out to a very um, disappointing early season well, I can speak for what I'm hearing on Twitter. You know, I can speak for what I'm seeing at the ballpark. And they're, they're coming out. You know, it's a really tough time before school gets out. I'm sure things will start to pick up in the summer. But the fans, they can be so great, and they're really into this team. You know, the other night, it wasn't a huge crowd. It was a weekday at, at home. Um, and then they rallied back at the end of the game. It was just really exciting uh, for even the, the – smaller group of fans that were in the ballpark that night to to have that kind of adrenaline rush and the the enthusiasm from them i mean you you see it you feel it um but here lately when your team starts to struggle I, i'm hearing a lot of 
why is he still here? Why hasn't he been sent out? You know, and a lot of that we're having to learn some of these players. Who has the options? Why why isn't the team moving? And there there's always a method to everything that the the team is doing. So I'm I'm hearing a lot of that, but I I think they're they're right there with them. You know, I I really love this this fan base, and I really love how smart this fan base is because of the the things that I get asked and. And the way the season ticket holders know everybody's name, you know, speaking of fans, I'm sitting at Fenway Park and, and these guys do their research on me and I'm a visiting reporter. <laughs> you know, so they know that, you know, they've always been known as to be some of the best fans in baseball here in Boston. But, you know, I'm seeing it at home. And, and that's after a couple of really tough seasons in 2013 and 2014 when I started. So it's really cool to see that fan base come back and uh, I, I, I have a really good feeling that things will pick up here in the summer and then the team will, will turn it around and, and all will be well back at Minute Maid Park. Now Michael Feliz is a very interesting prospect for me. He's a guy that is ranked as one of the top 10 prospects in the Astros organization. Now he started the year a little bit shaky in uh, the bullpen, sent down to Fresno in the minor leagues, but he's bounced back and you know despite uh, some rough outings here and there, he's actually performed quite well out of the bullpen, you know, getting his velocity up to 96, 97, even touched 98 recently. How do you see him fitting into the Astros, not only this year, but down the road? Mm -hmm. I think uh, his role is really interesting. You know, he's a starter. He's a, he's a guy this team wants to start. And so I, I think he'll have an opportunity at some point uh, throughout this season. Yeah. You know, you almost hope he doesn't just because that means that that there are five guys who really step it up that are probably already in that starting staff that, that are pitching well. So that's what that would mean. But I really think he'll get an opportunity because of the stuff that he's shown here lately. Last year, when he got called up a few times, uh, maybe timid at times, maybe not as confident, but now now he's had a couple of good outings. He's he's continued to put them together. It's just like three straight. You know, I mean, that can really do a lot for a a guy who's trying to establish establish himself on this level. And and the the heater's gone up. I mean, his velocity's gone up, uh, which has helped the other pitches. He just – he looks like he belongs, like you mentioned, and, and he does. And that's why he is he is staying with the team now in that long relief role. You know, they've got the six starters plus him um, and Feldman. So, you know, they can get really creative in that bullpen right now. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's tough for AJ to, to maneuver that bullpen right now because of the pieces he has. But they're, they're all pitching well enough to where, you know, you can put them in any kind of situation and they will succeed. Um, so we'll just have to see how this, plays out but but as far as Feliz goes he's definitely been impressive so kind of switching gears here for a minute this is your fourth year with the team and you know covering the Astros on the sideline what has your experience been like over the past four years and especially now that Root Sports is you know being seen in more television homes you know and also when I watch the games you know I see the chemistry between you Brownie Ashby and Blum I mean it seems like you guys are genuinely enjoying each other enjoying the broadcast what has that experience been like for you the past four years can you tell we like each other because that's good <laughs> we, we absolutely absolutely have a blast you know I mean 2013 we were we were learning each other a little bit a lot of changes happened uh, around Minute Maid Park and and as far as like the front office goes the team um, and then of course all the broadcast teams as well the radio booth they were shaking things up over there so we were starting we were learning each other that first year and then we were also trying to broadcast a team that only won 51 games you know can you imagine the challenges that we went so went through at that time so it's it's I think that that year really brought us together. We bonded. We figured out ways to tell the good stories to keep fans engaged. Um, and here we are years later. I think last year was was so much more fun because of what we put in those first two years. You know, 2014 was all about Jose Altuve and watching this guy hit every night. We continued to tell that story. In 2015, we were overwhelmed with the wonderful stories that we could tell. So the, the chemistry between us, you know, we, we like to keep it light. Baseball games can get long. Um, as I stand here at Fenway Park, where they're known to have four-hour games just <laughs> for nine innings. Um, you know, but that's that's part of why we love this gig. Is we have a lot of time to, to chit-chat and tell the stories and, and to go off the field for a second and, uh, and tell, you know, tell what's going on in the fans, you know, what's going on in the fans or whatever it may be, staying on the Green Monster. Um but I think that's, that's made it really special for us. And I love that we've continued to stay together for this many years because the fans know us as more of a team. You know, we're like a team within the team. 
Um, but we do have a lot of fun. It's baseball. How can you not, right? Yeah, it's very unique when it happens like that. And, and you know, you're right there on the field during the games. And I think it was probably, what, two or three years ago you actually uh, met Matthew McConaughey. Uh, you know, you, you've met some pretty interesting people and had the opportunities to interview them. What is that like, you know, for you being able to, you know, kind of go beyond the game and, and meet with those people and just kind of hear their experiences from the stands? Yeah, I Matthew McConaughey was so much fun. You know, that, that built up throughout the game. I spotted him. Um, he happened to be wearing a fanny pack, and at the time we were we had this inside joke about fanny pack. It all kind of just beautifully came together at the time. But it took me seven and a half innings to get over there to to you know get some confidence and go over there and ask uh, because he's a celebrity, you know. I mean, it's not just anyone over there. So really fun though to sit down next to him, and then of course he wants to talk baseball. You know, I'm not trying to ask him anything else other than what's going on in the field. And he's a Texas guy, and he wanted to talk Astros. He used to be a Rangers fan. You know, it's just really cool. To, to hear what they're, you have no idea what they're going to say when they open their mouth, especially when you interview Kevin Costner, um, who has to be my favorite. You know, I sit down next to this guy and, and talk to him about baseball movies that he's been in. Of course, some of our favorites. Uh, he was the star and, and talking about Bull Durham. It was just really, really fun. At the opportunities that I get to, to walk up and, and ask these guys about something as fun as baseball, you know, and to find out why they love the game or, or what, they, what it is they're doing that day. I think Matthew McConaughey was with his son that day. You know, just totally normal, uh, which is really fun. And it's really fun to present that to all the, that are watching, all the viewers. Julia, I've been watching the Astros since I was a little girl, and I think you're one of the greatest additions to the Astros since the switch from Fox Sports. I'm fairly new to the sports industry world, and I was wondering if you had any advice for females trying to break into sports media. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I almost get that I'm a girl now just because I've been around this team long enough to where I, I just feel like I'm one of them. But it is, I'll start with that, you know, it is very unique, my job, and there are a lot of field reporters who are women. Not all of them travel with the team. And I go on every single road game. It's 81 games a year that I'm in a hotel or, you know, hanging out at some ballpark on the road. And I am traveling on the team plane. I'm traveling on the team bus. Um, I'm around these guys a lot off the field. You know, so there's a, I get to know their families. I get to know them off the field a little bit. Some of, some of their personalities, you know, George Springer loves to be the guy that hands out the candy on the team plane. You know, things like that that we get to see. <laughs> Um, that, that just gets, you know, you just you start to learn them and then you start to learn how to ask these guys questions. You know, I'm here so often I have to be able to, to have the great fun interview, but I also have to be able to ask them why they blew the lead in the seventh. You know, I always ask, have to ask the tough questions too, but when you have that relationship, you know, and they respect you, it's much easier. So, you know, when, when it comes to advice, that's the thing. You've got to present yourself as a professional from the beginning. Um, you know, it's study up as much as you can on everything that you can. You know, I, I've been doing sports since I got out of college, a sports reporter. I was a weekend sports anchor and, and now in this field. But but from the beginning, you know, you always feel like you're playing catch-up. You, you never know enough. And it's true. You don't. You know, I mean, people that have been around the business forever, Bill Brown could tell you that he's always learning something new. And, and so for a woman, I mean, just just keep reading. Find, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask anyone the silly question because it's probably not silly. Um, you know, I felt like I was asking silly questions along my entire career. I had a great mentor, I would call him, who was a pitching coach in a AAA team where I was before this job. And he was great for information, you know, pitching sequences and things like things like that where, you know, I just would feel silly asking a big leaguer that question in a big league clubhouse. You know, it's not something you'd want to know before, but it was something I could pick his brain about. And I felt much more confident and comfortable walking into a clubhouse that I actually knew what I was, what I was talking about and, you know, where my question was coming from. So just be prepared, uh, be, prepa- be very professional is, is my advice. And then be yourself, you know, I mean, there's, there's enough of us now to where, it's not it's not a it's not as big of a deal to be that woman in sports anymore because there are so many of us. I meet them all the time. There's there's several in the Red Sox clubhouse as I'm looking across the field right now. You know, so you have to bring your own personality. Find that one unique, you know, whatever it is that you want to bring uh, to to the table. I should say, you know, in the broadcast, you find me being silly, but at the you know at the bottom of the inning, I could be talking about Lance McCullers' arm action. So you, you know, that's just that's my personality. That's my style. So. That's my advice for all who are trying to break into this business. But it's, it's absolutely worth it, whatever you have to go through. 
because it's a dream come true. I, I love my job. Speaking of your style, uh, it's notable in and of itself. Actually, there's a Houston Chronicle article uh, about a year and a half ago that highlighted your shoe choice. And uh, I guess you had some lucky shoes, neon green nine West pumps. And I'll be honest, I don't know what pump actually means in the context of women's shoes. But I was, as I was reading the article, I was curious uh, if those are the lucky shoes, then why not wear them every time? Do you have to weigh uh, the team winning against? <laughs> Oh, well, those are out of style because they're three years ago, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I have so many <laughs> shoes. But it is hilarious to see, you know, people people get so finicky about stuff like that. They're, they're like, it's, it was your shoes. It was your hair. Don't ever wear that dress again. Um, I get that stuff all the time. You know, it's really funny. I'm like, I promise I have nothing to do with what's going on between the white lines. But um, I do I do really enjoy that about the fan base. You know, people are watching these games and they're getting to know us because they see us every day. And you're seeing the real me. You know, I mean, there's no way I can put on a show that many days in a row on these Astros broadcasts. So the shoes being one of them, I have a blast. I love to shop for shoes. It's no secret. But, <laughs> but some of them will go through a stretch. Like, I think it was, was that 2014 when they went through that stretch? I think they won, uh, I think it was like 10 of 12 or something crazy. And I happened right. to be wearing those green shoes a couple of times. Um, but maybe I should bust them out. That You bring that up. Maybe I should dig back out of the closet <laughs> pull those out uh, <laughs> for the upcoming series and see if that helps at all. Julia, you started off your career in East Texas under the Friday Night Lights, and now you're traveling across the country with the Astros. What is that experience like? Do you have a favorite park or a favorite city? Uh, and you mentioned the Friday Night Lights. You know, growing up in Texas, I absolutely loved high school football. And so at the time, going to the new Allen High School Stadium was the coolest thing ever. And it still is. That's a pretty awesome stadium for, what, $60 million a year. But, I mean, you're right. Like, I just hit the jackpot with this job as far as getting to travel across the country, and I'm going to the biggest cities, cities I would never probably end up uh, if I wasn't in this job. And I'm being placed in the middle of the city, usually close to some of the the monuments or the statues. And so I have really... I promised myself when I took this job that I would take the opportunity to see things, to learn things because I, you know, you just never know how long you'll have the gig. Right. And then um, just, it's just such a special experience. Favorite ballparks for me, uh, Seattle, Seiko field. It's just a gorgeous city, gorgeous, fun ballpark, target field in Minnesota. Beautiful. Um, I'm staying at Fenway park and I love coming to this park. It is a little tough to work in. I'll, I'll be completely honest just because of how small it is. And uh, it's just so old, you know, <laughs> so Wrigley's the same way. There's a lot of cool things about this ballpark and Wrigley, uh, but it is tough as far as trying to put a TV broadcast together. Um, I love Minute Maid park. I, I can't not mention Minute Maid park. It's, it is one of the most beautiful ballparks in all of baseball Camden yards. Uh, with the brick wall right there in right field, uh, just gorgeous. It's it's really it's it's fun, you know. And, and now that we're seeing more newer ballparks pop up, you know, Turner Field going away for Atlanta, they're going to get a new field. I, I look forward to that, but it also makes me sad at the same time thinking about all the ballparks I missed, uh, old Yankee Stadium, you know, places like that uh, that I'll never get a chance to. So I just have to take advantage of, of this really cool opportunity and um, and share the share an Instagram or you know or whatever it may be on Twitter and, and take as many pictures as I can. Yeah, you're definitely a great follow on Instagram and Twitter, so I'd highly recommend everyone uh, check Julia out on there. But on episode 37 of the podcast, we actually spoke about uh, you know the greatest sporting events that any of us attended, and you know all three of us were at that Final Four national championship game, so we saw that buzzer beater. Uh, Kevin had told us that if there was one game that he wished he could have attended, that it would have been the 2006 Rose Bowl. Which between Texas and USC, and you were actually on the field as a member of Texas Palm Squad. What was that experience like for you? Oh, my goodness. That's the coolest game I've ever been to. You know, Mike Firestone and the no-hitter was, was one of the best um, as far as my career goes and my love for baseball. But that was such a fun year. Vince Young was out of his mind. That offense was out of their mind. Defense, you know, I mean, just the, the whole team played in the NFL, didn't they? I mean, you look back at all the wonderful players <laughs> on that team. So for it to build like it did, to show up to the Rose Bowl and see three peat shirts everywhere for USC who thought they were just going to run over Texas, and then for it to be the game that it was. I mean, it was where I was standing, I was on the opposite end zone of where Vince ran in on, on fourth and two for that winning touchdown. But when that happened, 
it felt like the entire Texas side, because I was more on the Texas side uh, with the fans behind me, the entire Texas side, it felt like they left their feet and didn't touch the ground. I mean, like, that's, it just felt like we were all in the air. And that's how, I mean, that's how we were, steady flying. Uh, it's just so incredible to, to think back to that game and just the, the excitement that, that came coming down to the end like that. Uh, it's just really cool. It's something I'll never forget. And, it, and it, obviously it's, it's, it's a big part of why I love so much you know not just baseball not just football but I love all sports because of that and experiences like that and I fell in love and I eventually uh, got my degree in broadcast journalism and, and here I am you know so you look back on some experiences in your life and that's definitely one that's kind of molded me into a sports reporter. That's a great story and uh, it definitely uh, cool to see how your career has developed and uh, you know one last question for you and this might be a little bit off the wall but uh, I'm not sure if you've noticed uh, Orbit at the ballpark the last few uh, weeks has been kind of I guess courting Dolores at games and uh, from my experience I, I believe it was 2014 that Orbit was courting you as well. What advice do you have for Dolores in terms of dealing with mascot relationships. Wait a minute. I thought Orbit and I were still together. So the fact that he's cheating on me is very upsetting <laughs> right now. Yeah. I saw him talking to someone else last game, too. I think he's, he's a player. He, he is definitely living the bachelor life. Man, Orbit's the greatest, isn't he? Um, you know what's funny is when I went to Philadelphia, we played the Phillies a couple of years ago, and I met the Philly fanatic, and – he took me on a ride on his little whatever that thing is called. I don't even know. I jumped on the back of some kind of motorized car and took off with him. <laughs> and I came home, came home, and Orbit was waiting for me with pictures of me on the back of that car, just so <laughs> distraught, so upset with the fact that I could have cheated on him with another mascot. And so it's been an <laughs> ongoing thing for years. But, uh, man, he's the greatest. Uh, advice for you in Orbit, man. I don't know. He likes Milky Ways and <laughs> Moon Pies. <laughs> moon Pies. I needed to learn how to make those Moon Pies. I was going to say, I think that worked for me the last time we had our biggest fight. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Well, Julia, we've definitely appreciated uh, you taking the time and joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And for those that are interested in uh, following your work, whether it be on Root Sports or on social media, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, Twitter is probably the best. Julia Morales is pretty easy on Twitter. Um, we're at Root Sports SW if you want to follow along for the shows or whatever we've got coming up on pre and post game. But um, And then I'm on Instagram. So find me, follow me, and uh, I love to interact and I love to chat. So be fun. Well, perfect. Well, Julia, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week. Thank you. Thanks, Julia. Closing time. Another fun episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast this week. Again, thanks to David Ubbin and Julia Morales for joining us on episode 43 of the podcast. And uh, for me personally, I thought the interview with Julia Morales is probably one of our top interviews. I just, you know, love the banter going back and forth and just our insights. Uh, Kevin, what did you think? I think there's a recency bias, of course. Anytime we can recall, you know, how fun it was to talk to Julia and how engaging and charming she was, you know, it's easy to kind of put that up there. But no, objectively speaking, uh, I've gone back and looked at the roster. She is one of our better guests and we uh, we loved uh, we love her work and we love the interview and we hope you guys did as well. Julia was thoroughly entertaining, uh, very knowledgeable, articulate, and, uh, and taught me something about women's clothing, which is always good. Jeremy, you actually weren't able to join the David Unwin conversation, but uh, I know you had the chance to listen to the audio prior to this podcast. And what were your thoughts on that conversation? Oh my gosh, it killed me. I couldn't be there for the interview. Uh, David Unwin is one of my favorite sports writers. He covers the Big 12, does a fantastic job. Um, the guy is just class all around. Um, I thought his analysis was very astute, uh, very timely. I, I think that he, I unfortunately agree with his assessment of the Big 12 in terms of long-term predictions. Um, but I really, the, the interview is just solid analysis. Um, anyone who's interested in the Big 12 expansion talks should should give it a listen. Um, it's fantastic. So um, I'm, I'm still disappointed I wasn't there. But um, kind of like thinking about the Big 12, Austin, what did you, what were your, what were your reactions to what he had to say? I mean, I thought he had a great insight. And I think that the most striking thing is that uh, he, he, he essentially said it doesn't matter if the team's good or not. You know, he, that, he said that, you know, U of H wasn't a fit for that reason. He said it comes down to TV markets. And f- for me, I just look at it and I still have a hard time comprehending that you're going to actually bring in teams that are subpar at best or marginal at best. And 
I just don't know how that's actually going to be a viable option. I don't see Texas wanting to play like Memphis or Cincinnati. You know, I think they want to play, you know, the bigger powerhouse schools. I don't think you need to dilute the 10-team league that you already have. I think right now the Big 12 is probably... Uh, has the best setup right now. You know, they play the true round robin. They play every single team. But something to keep in mind, since 2006, the only time a league has produced an undefeated champion in a round robin schedule was Oregon, just once. So it's very, very difficult to go undefeated in that type of system. So I, I don't know that that means that you know you're not going to get into the playoff i think that we've seen one loss teams can definitely get into the playoffs and uh, one thing to note we actually interviewed david ubbin on thursday and probably about two or three hours after we interviewed him uh dennis dodds from cbs sports actually sat down with david boren uh, from oklahoma and it seemed that boren had kind of backtracked a little bit uh, he essentially said that, you know, that Oklahoma was committed to the Big 12 and, quote, we haven't even discussed the possibility of leaving. And uh, he also said that I think we got a little ahead of ourselves in terms of speculation and, uh, you know, what the reality on the ground is. He said, I personally do not have any candidates at this point. So Boren is out in front pushing for expansion. and His Board of Regents has been trying to pull him back. It's a blatant line that they haven't talked about leaving. They've spoken about leaving uh, in the past. There's no question they're speaking about leaving now. All options are on the table for a university, a flagship university like Oklahoma, that would be a credit to any league that they would potentially join. So that sounds like a bunch of nonsense that he was put up to say, probably by Weissenhofer, the the Board of Regents chairman at Oklahoma. Yeah, I just think the whole narrative is kind of interesting. And I think uh, Oklahoma definitely is a candidate to leave, and they're going to be courted heavily, especially by the SEC. I think that's a natural landing spot for both them and Oklahoma State to get that league 16 teams. But, you know, I wouldn't rule out the Pac-12 either. I mean, if they expand, you know, Larry Scott back in uh, 2010, you know, made a great job getting Utah and Colorado. I think he wanted to expand to 16, getting, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and maybe Texas A&M at that point. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes up in, you know, the next few months, a few years. You know, if the Big 12 does survive this year, what does the next five, ten years look like? And as David Ubbin suggested, it doesn't look bright. Well, and I mean, if, if we're talking about big, big 12 stability, Oklahoma leaving, I mean, why do they want to do that? This is the big, you know, elephant in the room, and that is the Longhorn Network. Um, you know, Texas, I mean, if you've ever encountered a, a family where the kid is in charge, everybody's miserable. And that's sort of like what the Big 12 is right now. We're one big dysfunctional family where the petulant child, Texas, is at the top and he controls everything. Um, the, the Longhorn Network is is the big weight around our neck that keeps us from having a conference network. And that would be one of the things that would keep Oklahoma here and would potentially open up. Uh, the Big 12 to expanding and some quality regions, maybe even poaching a, a power five that's unhappy. So um, I, I really like, Austin, you asked a great question about the Longhorn Network. And right now, like that's the big, I mean, that's the big problem, in my opinion. I thought David Oven mentioned something great, and that was cord cutting. I think that's one thing that the networks and the leagues aren't necessarily foreseeing in the future, foreshadowing in the future. Uh, ESPN and Disney have not met their earnings in the past two quarters because of poor subscriptions on ESPN. People are just, you know, getting away from cable networks. And so I just don't know that. I think these schools are a little bit naive to believe that a cable network is the way to go when clearly trends show that more and more people are getting rid of cable. And, you know, Kevin, you don't have cable. So, Do not have cable. yeah, so I mean, you're not going to watch a Big 12 network. There's plenty of ways to get free sports content online that are illicit or illegal or what have you that are extremely simple. So, I mean, if I really want to watch, I'll watch it. And then usually I'll just go without. I don't need to see every single Big 12 game. Uh, a lot of them are unwatchable, in fact. So, yeah, I, I do agree that that is, um, that is not a trend that, it seems like thinking from five or ten years back. That's sort of the entrenched belief. Um, but we're going to see a big shift in the next couple of years. And I think everything I'm seeing and hearing makes me think that the Big 12 may not be as viable a long-term candidate for a conference as, I mean, it's hard to believe, honestly, with how big it was just a few years ago. But it, it may be on its way out. Me and Austin had discussed this possibility as a solution of the Big 12's problems in the long term that doesn't involve expansion. And that is expanding the college football playoff from four to six to possibly eight teams. And that way, a UT and an Oklahoma wouldn't have as much incentive to leave the conference. And you could possibly have a guaranteed slot.
slot for each one of the power conferences, plus a couple of open slots. So you could have the top two teams in the Big 12 go to the playoff. You could have the top two teams with the Packer, whatever. And so, and that even opens up a possibility for a school like U of H, mm. who has clearly proven that it's capable of beating a power five team on the field, mm. especially a very good one in Florida mm-hmm. State. So um, I think that that might actually solve a lot of this conference realignment business um, and, and not, uh, and, and, you know, we don't have to cut up the conference and, you know, have a bunch of winners and losers. Yeah. And the networks would absolutely love it. That's more advertising dollars. I mean, I, I would rather watch a playoff game than, you know, the, the Dallas Dixie bowl or something like that, you know, Dixie chicken bowl. I mean, to yeah. me, that's more enticing than watching, you know, a, a lower tier bowl. And I, I think most of America that enjoys college football would probably agree with that sentiment. And I don't think there's any way we're not headed in that direction. The college football playoffs have been an unmitigated success, I would believe, so far. And I think that there's no question it's going to be expanded at some point. I don't think they want to move too quickly and dilute it. We're not looking to make it, you know, uh, March Madness, basically, for football. And it's not even tenable to do so with the scheduling. But, yeah, there's no question in my mind, based on everything I've seen and heard, that we're eventually going to see this expanded to probably eight games, I would imagine. Yeah, so definitely a fascinating conversation about Big 12 realignment in the future and the rumors that are just surrounding the league right now. I think we'll probably have more information on the direction of the conference here in the next one to two months. Where does U of H go? That's the question. Where does U of H end up? American Athletic Conference. But there are other power conferences. I mean, I think U of H is deserving of a bid to one of them. Where do they fit in? U of H, great athletically, facility-wise, they should be in. Like, I'm I'm not debating that. Problem is, they don't control even the Houston media market. It's A&M, Texas, it's Texas Tech, it's LSU. And I think once you put U of H, so U of H can't go to the, they can't go to the SEC because Texas A&M is going to try to block that sure. because of recruiting. Yeah. Big 10 doesn't make sense geographically. ACC doesn't make sense. Pac-10 or Pac-12 doesn't make sense. It's horrible as it is to say about U of H, but no, power, no member of a power conference is going to take a pay cut take a U of H or a Memphis or even a Cincinnati. And so that's why I think all of this talk is really, um, it's it's just for fun at this point. I don't think it's really going to happen. What I could see is a league like the AAC becoming a, you know, say that the Big 12 dissolves or something like that, or say that they expand to eight teams. And I could see, you know, the AAC, if they continue to have success like they've had in the past few years, then maybe they get an automatic bid to, a, a, a you know, an eight-team playoff. So I could see that as a possibility. And I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen, especially because you have a lot of schools in the AAC that are starting to pour more dollars into stadiums. I mean, look at SMU, what they do with their basketball facility. So I could see that as a possibility. But to me, it's just, I think, I think U of H is hindered by the geography right now. You know, if, if, if U of H was in Louisiana, I could see him as a candidate for the Big 12. But the fact that they're in Houston, which is controlled, you know, by Texas, by Texas A&M, I just don't see it as a, a fit. And then just to me, it doesn't make sense for, you know, a West Coast league to bring them in. Now, hypothetically, the Pac-16 or Pac-12 expands to the Pac-16. And, you know, maybe Texas goes to the SEC. Maybe Texas Tech goes to the SEC. Then, sure, if, like, you've got a Baylor and a TCU that head west, then maybe you bring U of H along with it. I could see that. But I think that's the only way that it happens. This is, this is why the 18 playoff makes so much sense, because it, it, it makes this not such. You don't have smaller schools with fewer resources being omitted like they are right now. And so with this Power Four conference setup we have, it's really – um, it's it's limiting. It's it's, it's sort of like a, the BCS all, all over again in a, in a sense. Because it just it you know um, they box out the little guy. And with U of H's win over Florida State, not just a win but a stomping. I mean, I think really that proves the necessity of a an eighteen playoff without a doubt. Fascinating conversation with you guys, and uh, thanks again to David Ubbin for kind of sparking that conversation. And uh, we hope you enjoyed that. Uh, you know, kind of going back and forth on expansion and realignment. We kind of discussed it a few months ago on the podcast, but I think we definitely had new information this week and we were able to go a little bit more in depth. So we hope that everyone enjoyed that conversation. But uh, it's that time of week again. What time is it? It's iTunes reviews time. iTunes reviews time. I love this time. It's my favorite time. And we have two new reviews. Kevin, you're having a good week, aren't you? Yeah, you can hear it in my voice. Not one, but two new reviews, which is so rare. I think only on maybe two or three occasions have we had more than one to read. So great job by the listeners this week. Um, so we have a, a Great Sports Insight is the title of this one, which I could not agree more, by C. Kosh. 
SWT. And I happen to know, of course, that that's Craig Koshkin from the Sports Snack Podcast. Good buddies of ours. We certainly recommend you give them a listen over there. Craig and Matt uh, do a great job with the sports coverage. Uh, everything from MMA to soccer to really anything you could possibly want. Uh, so go find those guys. But he says, as someone who avidly podcasts, I have to say that the Weekly Brew fits all of my sports needs and then some. Uh, like you're talking about sexy man needs this week. Really, everything you need is here on the Weekly Brew. The hosts are knowledgeable across the board and fill a niche in Houston sports that you can't... How do you say it? Niche? Niche? I think it depends on which part of the country you're I feel... I say niche, but it sounds pretentious, right? I think so. Okay. I'm just making sure that I sound that way to everyone else, too. It's not just my head. Fill a... Fill a, you know what? I am a man of the people. Fill a niche in Houston sports that you can't fill with local radio. That is a fact. Give these guys a chance and you definitely won't regret it. I like the idea that you're worried about giving us a chance and you might regret it. But um, you may just have a new go-to on your drive to or from work. We certainly recommend you listen to us when you're driving because driving sucks. You have to do it a lot in Houston. And we are great. Um, the next review comes from Houstonian348234, which I think may be a robot of some kind. Uh, we're happy to have robots listen to the show. Good variety always keeps me engaged, he says, or she, possibly. From sports to news to politics to beer, which we don't talk about a lot, but I guess we have mentioned on occasion. We do have Weekly Brew in the name. These guys program an excellent selection of topics for discussion, so you always learn a few new things you didn't expect this week about me. And it never gets boring. They bring on expert guests who are interesting to hear. Absolutely true. I would definitely recommend giving it a listen, especially for locals in the Houston area. Those are great reviews, guys. We appreciate it. And uh, and I'm having a fantastic week. I feel appreciated. I feel pleased. I feel satisfied. If you, if you also enjoy the show, we really do need the iTunes reviews. They help us show up in people's searches. They make us appear uh, attractive and popular as we should be. So please, if you do listen to us, uh, we would love for you to go to iTunes. Subscribe there so you get every new episode deposited directly into your podcast queue and uh, and then click on ratings and reviews it's very easy to do uh you can just leave us a nice little five-star review with a blurb and actually if you're struggling to figure out how to leave a review and you'd like to help us out go over to we desserts on 3411 kirby penny and jen will show you how to leave a review on your mobile device and uh, you'll also get a free cookie or macaron for doing it and orbit if you're out there listening to us right now if you leave us a review dolores said she would go on a date with you absolutely this is very true (laughs) orbit is (laughs) All right. So that was a a fun episode. And, uh, you know, thanks to everyone that left us iTunes reviews this week. And if you want to follow our content even more, you can follow us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, you can follow us at weeklybrewcast.com. But we had a fun episode this week. And thanks again to David Ubbin and Julie Morales for joining us on episode 43 of the podcast. And for my co-hosts, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxson, and Dolores Lozano, I'm Austin Staten, and we'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always brew responsible. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 